Last week, we began this sermon series called, Can I Get a Connection? By looking at how can we get a connection with a holy God. And we learned that, that we can, and that because of Jesus, we are connected. Because of Jesus, the Father will turn his face toward us, and, and he's gracious to us, and he loves us and forgives us all because of what Jesus did for us. And so this morning, we're going to look at part two. Can I get a connection with my family? And maybe a real quick disclaimer. We're not going to spend the next 20, 25 minutes talking about how can I spend more time with my wife and kids or my spouse and kids or, or my relatives. We're going to talk about how we can get connected as a family as we stand on the Word of God. And in order to do that today, we're going to look at a book from the Old Testament. It's the book of Joshua, and Joshua writes these words at the very end of his life. We got another one of those farewell speeches. Remember a couple weeks ago, we, we talked about Moses? Moses was leading God's people, and he did this farewell speech, and he handed the baton to a guy named Joshua. And now Joshua is at the end of, of his time leading God's people into the promised land. And the words before us are from chapter 24. And this is what he says. I sent the hornet ahead of you, which drove them out before you. Also the two Amorite kings. You did not do it with your own sword and bow. So I gave you a land on which you did not toil, and cities you did not build, and you live in them and eat from vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt, from that land of slavery, and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites, who lived in the land. We, too, will serve the Lord because he is our God. This is the word of the Lord. As I studied these words in the greater context of Old Testament history, I thought to myself, well, of course, right? What else is Joshua going to say and do? What else are the people going to say and do, right? Joshua was born in slavery. When Joshua was born and brought into this world by the power of God with his parents, he was a slave in Egypt. And he wasn't a first-generation slave. His ancestors went back about 400 years, and all of them, too, had been slaves in Egypt. But as Joshua writes these words... You know what had happened? God had brought Joshua and the entire nation of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. 
So they were rescued from slavery, but now they're in the wilderness, but God sustained them. He provided manna and quail and food and water and all these things for his people until he brought them to the gates of the promised land that God said for generations, all the way back to Abraham, that's going to be your land. And when they got to the promised land, you heard in the reading, there, there were people already living there. And so God, having Joshua lead his people in, won battle after battle after battle until all the cities there in that land were now under their control. And so at this point, for the first time in probably 400 plus years of the history of God's people, they were finally at peace. They could finally put their swords away. They could finally enjoy the fruit of the vine of those vineyards and, and, the, and the wheat of the fields and the bounty of the land that God had given to them. And at the end of all this, Joshua was ready to now pass the baton himself. Years ago, Moses gave it to him. Now Joshua's going to give it to somebody else, and, and he's going to go home to heaven. But before he does, he gives this farewell speech, and after giving them this kind of history lesson of what had happened, Joshua then says this. He's addressing the people, and he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. This past week, as, as I read that, those two verses, I couldn't help but remember a story that one of the missionaries told me when I lived in Taiwan for those two years. He told me the story of a, of a man who had become one of their evangelists, right? He worked at the church there, but he wasn't always a Christian. At one point, he worshipped the gods of his fathers and ancestors, and, and he had the statues and, and all that stuff, and he did all the rituals and, and went through all those things. But by God's grace, he was made a child of God. And one day, he filled up all of his idols into a box. All the family trinkets and things that they used to worship their ancestors and Buddha and about a million other different little idols and gods. He put them all in a box and he drove out just outside of town and he got to this big high bridge just outside of Taipei and he stood there and he tipped it over and all of them fell to the bottom. And if the missionary was right, the missionary told me this was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. This wasn't just a bunch of cheap trinkets. These were nice things carved in, in precious stones and metals and wood. So he basically took a couple grand and just threw it over a bridge. And maybe the most interesting part to me, he did it during his father's funeral while everybody else was praying to these false gods and, and wailing, he made a statement. He threw away these gods, and he worshiped the true God. That's what Joshua is presenting to God's people. Right? You got a choice. <laughs> right? You got a choice in the matter. You can either go back and worship the gods of your ancestors and the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, or you can worship the true God. Now, maybe we're thinking, well, this is kind of a no-brainer, right? Why in the world would they ever say, well, we're going to go back and worship the false gods? I mean, because they knew what God did. They saw what God did. 
and how God had rescued them. But maybe even more importantly, I want to look at it through the lens this morning of Joshua's asking us that question. Saying, guys, you have a choice. People in Jacksonville, North Carolina, or wherever you're watching online, you, you can serve those false gods or you can serve the true God. What's it going to be? Maybe again, some of you are thinking, well, that's a dumb question, Pastor. Of course we're going to serve the true God. We know what Jesus has done for us. We're going to worship him. But is it so clear-cut? Because like God's people back then, even today, we too are tempted by false gods. They might not come in the form of, of figurines shaped out of wood or stone, but, but there are idols in our life that entice and tempt us and call us away from Jesus. In fact, one theologian once said the human heart is an idol factory, and I personally think he was spot on. Because we all have them, whatever they may be, right? You know, Jesus once said, you cannot serve both God and money. Jesus says you're going to love one and you're going to hate the other. You can't serve them both. Yet how often don't some of us try? Right, maybe we work longer hours, we put in more time thinking we'll get the promotion, we'll get the pay raise, we'll get more stuff, we'll be more comfortable and secure in our lives. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying money and possessions are wrong, but they are wrong when we put our safety and security in them. When that's what we chase after more than anything else, and we think if we have these things, well, then we've made it, then we'll be comfortable, then we can be secure, and we forget about the God who says, I got it. Or when God says, you know, I want you to give me the first and best of what I've given to you. And he said, yeah, but you know, God, we've got some bills to pay. We've got things to take care of. And you understand, right? And he says, no, don't rob me. I gave you all this to begin with. So we're enticed by maybe that God of wealth and materialism. Some of us, maybe it's something different. Maybe it's technology. All right, again, in and of itself, technology is awesome. It's a huge blessing. If you're watching online without technology, you wouldn't be watching online. But are we using that technology to give God glory? Or to serve self? Are we maybe spending too much time in front of screens, and that means we're not spending time with our loved ones? And the people that God has given to us to take care of and to love and to guide and to protect. Maybe it's the God of your schedule. Right? A lot of people have told me, and I know I've said this at times too, right? I'm so busy. So many things in my schedule. Maybe that's because we, we haven't learned how to say no. And we think that we have to do everything possible and when it comes to our kids we have to put them in everything that we run ourselves to the point of exhaustion and again are all those things bad no but you know what often leaves the schedule what often is erased and taken off the schedule when it's so full of other things and i know because this happens even in the preacher's house it's god's word it's time with your family opening up the bible and being fed by the living words of god They might not be statues. They might not be wood or stone, but 
but we too are tempted by false gods to put our security in them and not him. And it's so easy, right? Because all of us have this, this sinful nature inside that says, I want what I want. And we're not choosing Jesus, we're choosing ourselves. Here's the awesome part. Jesus forgives that sin too. For all the times that we have chased after those false gods, he still forgives us, he still comes and says, I love you and I'm yours. That's what he did with his people. In Joshua's day, they had turned from him. This was post-golden calf, right? We talked about the golden calf last week. They were dancing, worshiping this false god. God still forgave them. He still gave them the promised land. He still said, I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God. He had mercy, and Joshua knew that. And so Joshua, on this day, he says, hey, guys, you got a choice. You can serve those false gods. No one's going to stop you. You can go down that path. Or you can serve and worship the God who loves you, who saved you, and who rescued you. But whatever you choose, I want you to know, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. I love that statement. <laughs> it's such a bold statement, isn't it? Not only is he taking a stand for himself, he's also taking a stand for his entire household. He's taking God's call to be the spiritual leader with the utmost seriousness. We're going to stand on the Lord, and I'm going, to, I'm going to help my family do the same thing. Now, that verse alone got me doing a lot of reflecting this week. And, and as I thought about that verse, I couldn't help but think of these two. My son Solomon, my son Elijah, I'm a father. Joshua was a father. And you know what I want more than anything else for these two? If they're on the honor roll, great. If they're not, that's fine as long as they're doing their best because that's not what I want most importantly. If they make the team or they don't, that's fine. If they win, get the winning shot or not, that's okay. If they grow up and, and get their dream job or they're working an average job, it, it, that's not what's most important to me. Whether they find a, a nice woman to get married to and, and to have kids, all of those things are fine, and I've thought about those things, but you know what I want more than anything else for those two? I want them to see God someday. I want them in heaven with not just me and their mom, but, but with their Savior. I want them to know that they have a father who loves them way more than this father could ever love them. I want them to know that they have a father who loved them so much that he was willing to give up his own son so that they could be his sons forever. I want them to know that, that, that no matter what path they go down, no matter how many times they mess up, they can come home to mom and dad, but, but even more so, they have a heavenly father who is always on the watch and always willing and ready to welcome them home and to forgive them and restore them as his children. That's what I want more than anything else. And I'm guessing I have a lot of parents here. You feel the same way. 
That's what you want for your children too, right? If you are a child of God, you want your children to be children of God too. And isn't that why we put so much effort into our kids? Especially as a church. Over the last, I don't know, 30 to 50 years, so much time and energy has been poured into children's ministries in our churches. And not just ours, but Christian churches around the country and maybe even the globe. Sunday school, VBSs, soccer camps, mornings with mommy, all kinds of of different programs like this. Because we love our kids. In fact, some of the older generation, you have given up so much, right? Because you want the next generation to know you're even willing to to give up certain styles of worship and music and all kinds of things because you love the next generation and you want them to know Jesus. That's a really good thing. But I have to be brutally honest with you. And it's not that these programs in and of itself are wrong, but they're really not working. Did you know that? And it's not the programs themselves, it's because I think we, we're missing the deeper problem here, right? Anybody born in the last 20, 25 years, the statistics on their church involvement is very sobering. All right, we'll call them Gen Z. Have you ever heard of Gen Z? Quite a few of you here are Gen Z. Maybe watching online, you're Gen Z, right? If you've been born from that, what, 1997 to 2012 or 14, somewhere in that ballpark, that's Gen Z. So these are our kids. These are our grandkids. These are our new high school grads and college grads stepping out into the world. And the statistics are not good. One of the things we've been doing in our, the coaching network I'm in with a group of pastors is we've read a lot of books about that generation and how we can make an impact with the gospel on them so that they know Jesus too. And I'm not going to lie, it's an uphill battle. If statistics are true, which done, there's, there's this one book, this lady did tons of research over the last 20 years, one out of every three in that generation don't go to church anymore. That's pretty high. They claim that Gen Z is the least religious generation in the history of our country. And not only is one out of every three, they don't go to church regularly, they don't pray much, they don't read their Bible almost at all, and many of them don't even believe in God. Did you know that? And before you think it's some anti-God college professor or some anti-Jesus liberal out there, most of these kids answered that way, that they don't pray, they don't read their Bible, they don't go to church, and they don't even believe in God already by middle school and high school while they're still living with us. So, What can we do about this? It's a topic we cannot skirt the issues. We can't just decide we're not going to address this. We can't just say, well, let's just keep doing the same thing we've always done, and our kids will be the exception to the rule. That won't work. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if you want your children and that next generation to stay connected to God, it starts by being connected to him in the home. Before you ever take them to school, before you ever let them loose out in the real world, 
if you want them to stay connected, it starts in the home. Because do you know who the most influential person in your children's lives is for a very long time, way longer than I think most parents want to admit? It's not their friends. It's not some cool Sunday school teacher or youth group leader at the church. It's mom and dad. Even when you don't think so. It's mom and dad. In fact, some of the surveys said that they asked thousands of kids in that generation, those who have stayed with the church, stayed in their faith into their 20s and 30s, and are still going, are still connected to Jesus. You know what the number one factor is? These are the kids answering. Mom and dad. Mom and dad who prayed, who went to church, who read the Bible, who followed Jesus, and they mentored, modeled, and did it with their kids. See, here's the deal. Our kids are watching, whether we like it or not, whether we want them to always or not. They're they're watching us. And if they see mom and dad not making Jesus a priority, guess what's going to happen when they're 25 or 35? Guess who's not going to be a priority in their life? A good chance it's not going to be Jesus. Right? If, if they see mom and dad acting one way at home and, and another way at church, where they're churchy and Sunday for, a, for an hour or two, and then they're totally different the rest of the week, your kids will catch on to that hypocrisy, and it won't be good. Mom, Dad, what you do, for better or for worse, will have a profound impact on your children's spiritual walk of faith and whether they stay connected to Jesus or not. So don't hand off the responsibility. Don't think it's a teacher's job or some preacher's job to teach your kids this. It's, it starts with you. Now, there's a lot more I would love to say about this, but, but you probably want to go home at some point. But, but I want to I leave you with two things. First of all, I think this is maybe the most important. You're forgiven. Because if you're sitting out there today or watching online and you're a parent, you're thinking of all the ways that you have failed to lead your children to Jesus. At least that's what I did when I thought about this. The times that I've dropped the ball, the times that I haven't been the dad that they need me to be, Jesus forgives you. He washed away that sin too, and he promises to help you lead them as he first leads you. So get connected to Jesus so he can help you lead your kids. Number two, give him Jesus. This ain't rocket science, guys. You know Christ. You know that he loves you and he died for you. Tell your kids the same truth. As much time and energy as you put into your careers and your jobs, put into training and teaching your children that they have a God who loves them. As much effort as you do taking a stand on whatever social, political issue you believe in, take a stand on Jesus. Do what Joshua did. Right? He didn't care what the rest of them did. If all of Israel said, we're going to go back to the false gods, he said, I don't care. Me and my family, we're with him. We're with the God who loves and saves. Do what Joshua did. Take a stand. Even if nobody else does. Take a stand and make your family stick out like a sore thumb. Because you will if you follow Jesus. You just will. 
right? Take a stand and make your family one that's slow to anger and really quick to forgive each other, just as Jesus forgave you. Right? Take a stand and say, you know what, as we plan the next month's scheduling, Jesus is first. Before we put in any practices, soccer, anything else, work, Jesus is number one. And we're going to make sure that we carve out time daily to pray and worship the God who saved us. Take a stand. Is this going to be easy? Absolutely not. This is going to be so hard because you're going to be doing the opposite of what you're tempted to do and what you naturally want to do and what the world around you is doing, but it's so worth it. Take a stand, and as a family, go to the foot of the cross where you're reminded that you are loved, that you are forgiven, and that even for all the times that you have dropped the ball as mom and dad, that, that you are loved and that you are forgiven, and he still promises to help you, and he still says, I want you to be my people. Because here's the deal, friends. The statistics, they're not good. They don't really give us a whole lot of hope as we look to future generations as it seems like more and more are walking away from Jesus. But we don't have to be a statistic. We don't have to throw up our hands and say, woe is us, and we don't have to follow along with the culture around us. We can join Joshua and many other Christians, and we can take a stand and say, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so that's what I want to do right now. I want you, if you have young children sitting at, or living in your home, I want you to stand up right now. And I'm going to stand here awkwardly because I know, I know who's supposed to be standing right now. If you have young children living in your home right now, stand up. You can stand up at home too if you're watching in your living room, in your PJs, set your coffee down, stand up if you have young kids living in your home right now. Whew, this is a hard time for you guys. Right, as your kids go from, from infancy to, to elementary school to middle school to high school, this is a really hard time to navigate, guys. And I feel for you probably because I'm standing with you, right? I have young kids in the home, but you know what? God promises you he's gonna be with you, he's gonna lead you so that you can lead them. You have his word on it. Stay standing. Next group I want to join them standing up is if you've ever had kids. Maybe they're 40 years old. They've moved on. They, they don't live in your house anymore, but you have kids. Again, I know who you are, so if you don't stand, I'll just keep standing up here. <laughs> My heart really goes out to you guys because some of you, and I know some of your stories, your kids have drifted a little bit. They've wandered, and they're no longer in your house. You can't control what they do. You can't make them get up on a Sunday and come to church with you. But you know what? Whatever's happened in the past, Jesus forgave it. And he still says, even if your kids are 50, you can still give them me, and I'll help you, and I love you. Next group. If you ever plan on maybe getting married someday, if you ever plan on maybe having kids someday, if you're grandparents, if you have nieces and nephews, if you go to a church where there's a lot of young people, stand up. That's everybody else if you didn't catch that. <laughs> I want to give you some advice that was given to me a long time ago. In fact, it's been repeated by, by a couple of different godly men in my life. 
And they said this. They've all kind of said the same thing. You know what? You're replaceable. Ouch, right? (laughs) Jobs will come and go. Work will come and go. Your money and stuff and all those things will come and go. Those things are are, are all replaceable, and so are you. Right? If I take a call and leave here, or or you guys will fill in the vacancy. You'll get a new pastor. I'll be replaced. If you retire from the Marine Corps, they will replace you with a new set of recruits, and they'll keep moving on. You will be replaced. Once you retire from the boardroom, they'll interview candidates, and they'll get a new person to fill your role. You are replaceable. I'm replaceable. All those things come and go, but guess what? To your kids, you're really not replaceable. To the kids in your life, whether your mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, you're the person that God has given to them so that they might know Jesus. And someday when you're lying in a box, they're not going to talk about how much you worked They're not going to talk about all the amazing things you might have done in your career. They're going to talk about the impact that you made on them for Jesus. So guys, no matter who you are, as we think about the next generation, show them Christ. Point them to Jesus, mom and dad, when nobody else will. Will it be hard? Hardest thing you'll ever do. Will it be easy? Not a chance. But with Jesus' help, with his blessing as you get connected to each other and to him in your homes, Jesus says it's oh so worth it. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you.